from the Northeast Forest Alliance, 30th anniversary. You're with Environmental as Anything on River FM 92.9. On this auspicious occasion. No, it's not working, but it is now working. So, so now that the mic's working, that's always the problem with a live broadcast. There is always glitches. That's what makes it a live broadcast, so that you know that you're in real time and real things happen. So, Dylan is going to continue on with the story because, uh, as you know, we only got three years in. Um, so, here we go for another instalment. Uh, thank you, uh, Dylan Pugh here. <coughs> um, so, uh, one thing I'd like to point out about Chalundi, uh, when people mentioned violence, that was on behalf of some of the police there. So, um, basically at a demonstration, you get... You know, a third of the police are there because they want to bash greenies, but a third are there just for the money, the overtime, but a third are there are also because they like um, conservation and really want to help. So, you know, you get a mixture there at these blockades and it's important to not uh, tarnish them all with the same brush. Uh, but some of them were quite violent. Uh, so uh, I was up to the Timber Industry Interim Protection Act that was introduced in 1992 uh, under strong uh, opposition, obviously, from uh, ourselves and most environment groups and, and a large proportion of the parliament it, uh, only got in uh, because of Metherall's vote for it. Um, but what the Tim Ministry Interprotection Act did was put uh, uh, all the old-growth moratorium areas we'd had protected back in uh, uh, 1990 under uh, in moratoriums. They were all... Uh, put off limits until EISs were done, plus a number of wilderness areas, but not all of them. Uh, and outside those areas, they could log without doing EISs anymore. So there's no longer any legal requirement to assess the impact they were having on the environment or to mitigate those impacts. So uh, that was aimed at uh, stopping us uh, uh, taking court action to, to enforce the uh, Environmental Planning and Assessment Act. Uh, so forestry had got what they had wanted all along, which was down to log without assessing their impacts. And uh, that was uh, uh, a real shame. Uh, it certainly uh, precluded our ability to continue our court cases on this issue. So when Griner had announced the 180,000 hectares of old-growth forest to be placed under moratorium, they left out enough to log for the next five years or more while they prepared their... EISs for the old growth areas. So uh, when he made his announcement, he did a map with it, and, and then soon after, that, uh, a number of those areas disappeared from that map, and one of those was Mummel Golf. So Mummel Golf was identified in Griner's announcement as being under a part of the moratorium areas, and then it mysteriously disappeared, and forestry were going to log it. So we attempted a... Um, negotiation process with the Forestry Corporation saying, well, let's map where the old growth is and let's, let's uh, resolve this, you know, what's old growth and what's not. Let, we're sick of the argument about them saying, no, it's not, and us saying, yes, it is. Let's do, undo a process to map it. Now, they, of course, had no um, commitment to that. And so by July 1992, uh, that whole process collapsed. The, the Forest Peace Talks, as, they, as the media called it, and, in, uh, and we put up blockades in Mummel Gulf in July 1992 in winter. We had snow up there, lasted for months, 
They wouldn't try to come in, though, the forestry. We'd scared them off. I mean, our reputation was pretty high by then. Um, and so they wouldn't come near us. So uh, this went on for a long time at Mummel. Um, you know, I'm pleased to say, like many of the areas, it's now a national park. Um, but at that time, we, the only way we could do it was to put up, put up the pipes and people climb inside them and, and so on uh, in the middle of winter in Mummel. But... Soon enough, uh, our people got bored sitting out there not doing anything. So we moved to another area of old growth forest, and this was on the Karai Plateau north of Kempty. So Mumble Golf is up near Walka, right, right up on the on the uh, uh, ta- edge of the tablelands. So uh, Karai is just uh, uh, west of Kempsey, and we moved up there in 1992. Uh, in August, I think we had our first uh, blockade up there. And the um, district forester, uh, a wildlife expert and a local landowner all told us they'd seen eastern quolls there. Now, eastern quolls had been sort of extinct since about the 1950s on mainland Australia, and yet there were these reports. So that was one of our main issues. We wanted to get a proper survey for eastern quolls to protect them, plus a number of other uh, issues as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we did get the... Um, uh, the surveys done for eastern quolls. Unfortunately, they didn't find them. But it's interesting that recently uh, there's a record of a eastern quoll being found at Branton Tops uh, from a stuffed specimen someone had taken, found as a road kill, kill in 1989. So they were still around, and the reports that we were relying upon weren't necessarily inaccurate. Um, but I'd be surprised they still exist there now. Um, so we had this long process. We had the blockade. And then uh, because the forestry had been given these interim licences to take and kill threatened species, uh, we, we, we used that as one of our avenues on the pressure on the uh, National Parks and Wildlife Service because the forestry weren't doing the surveys they uh, were required to do to implement the, the minimal licence conditions there were. So uh, we, uh, after some angst up there in the forest, we convinced the National Parks and Wildlife Service to stop work while surveys were being undertaken. Uh, and that certainly created a lot of uh, uh, fuss at the time. The, um, uh, the government intervened because the, the Park Service uh, agreed for a stop work order on, on our request because the surveys weren't being uh, adequately done to meet their licence uh, without telling the Forestry Corporation. So the Forestry Corporation got corporation got very shitty and uh, the government then decided to intervene and they had to get a political solution to this problem and park service shouldn't be allowed to stop stop work or be illegal work. Uh, so we, we, we went on at uh, CARA and, until uh, October and then in early November uh, someone sabotaged a bulldozer there. They, they did quite extensive damage to it. Um, Megan Edwards, who was our coordinator at the time, uh, took the part away and tried to get it fixed so we could fix up the bulldozer. Um, but un- unfortunately, you know, because we were committed to non-violence, and that included non-violence against machinery, um, we then had to call off that blockade in, in November. So um, we were left with a, a number of people, ardent blockaders, who didn't have much to do. So um, some, of them, some of them decided to go down to Sydney and uh, occupy the uh, Forestry Corporation. They did a number of actions there, but one of them was to occupy the uh, Forestry Corporation's head office in November 1992. Um, they did a really good job. People superglued super themselves to the uh, front sliding glass door so they couldn't be opened. They blocked off the uh, lifts so they, they wouldn't operate, and they worked out these devices to put onto the, the emergency exit door so they couldn't be opened. 
Unfortunately, when they uh, occupied the, uh, the uh, I can't remember, it might have been the fifth floor or something there, of the Forestry Corporation head office, there were still for two forestry employees in there who were asked to leave, but they refused to leave. So the um, resultant media was horrific. Really, we were accused of being terrorists, of um, of uh, holding hostages. Uh, it was it was actually one of our darkest moments in that respect. It was a totally non-violent action, but they they managed to hold the uh, NIF managed to hold the Forestry Corporation head office for uh, five hours. John Corkill uh, installed himself as Commissioner of Forests and did num a number of taxes off to the off to the district officers, telling them to cease and desist. So, um, look. It was a great action, and um, uh, if anyone here uh, is here who was there, I'd love you to tell your story in, in a minute about that. Um, so uh, uh, we, we went on with a, a, a number of blockades to, to protect old growth forests. Uh, another one was in uh, April, before this, in April 1992, uh, Killer Cranky. So it was an area of old growth in the uh, New England wilderness and they were in there logging it. But it's really steep, unstable country and they were bulldozing these roads down mountainsides, basically, and the mountains were collapsing as a result of it. It was and, and, and into the Bellinger River. It was just a horrific operation. The, um, uh, uh, we had a blockade up there and we, we, we stopped that operation um, and the uh, EPA got the EPA to come and investigate and they estimated that 88,000 tonnes of soil washed off those hillsides into the Bellingen River. Uh, they were just abusing the, 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 the uh, erosion uh, mitigation conditions which they were meant to be operating under, under, you know, um, uh, uh, the idea being that you apply them if you want to, or you should apply them, but they didn't want to. Um, and so as a result of Killer Cranky, um, we, we managed to get licensing for the uh, Forestry Corporation for their operations where they had to be licensed to um, uh, the, the, a whole series of uh, erosion mitigation conditions they had to apply by, and if they didn't, they would be prosecuted. So, you know, it was a, it was a major win, um, and we protected the forest at the same time. Another, uh, what was left of it hadn't been logged, it was good old-growth forest in, in the New England wilderness. Um, and it was great to get some legal constraints over forestry's operations because we, we were finding this all over the place. They were just ignoring uh, requirements to minimise pollution. Um, so, you know, obviously as part of all this, NIFA were labelled eco-terrorists or just terrorists often. They often, did, often didn't leave the echo on the front. Um, yeah, you can see why we were called terrorists for the Forestry Corporation occupation. Uh, even though nothing violent. Uh, um, the fact that we were... Uh, they were claiming was holding hostages uh, added to that. But it happened all the time. So, like, in, um, in 1993, when the uh, Briggs saw, uh, sawmill at, uh, uh, up on the Dorigo Plateau burnt down, we were blamed for it quite voraciously. And there were two other sawmill fires at the same time. We were blamed for those. But, like, for example, the Briggs mill, um, uh, they had to, they, someone turned off the water supply to the sprinkler system in the mill before the fire. None of us would, yeah, well, far be it for me to say that. Um, uh, and, uh, and the other, one, one other mill fire near Grafton was meant to be a disgruntled employee. And, but nonetheless, we always got blamed for it. There was a, 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 a nail that went through a sawmill somewhere uh, and we were blamed for that we, all the time. We were labelled and blamed as, as terrorists by the industry uh, and that was part of their, their tactics. 
So uh, I'll move on to Wild Cattle Creek in 992. There was a whole series of blockades in Wild Cattle Creek over the years. Uh, in September 992, there was one... Um, particular action there and uh, because we were being labelled as terrorists, the loggers actually got very violent there. They went and bashed up people, they bashed up people in the streets, the police wouldn't help us, the police were on their side. It was quite a nasty series of events that occurred. Um, but one thing that, uh, so that was the Wild uh, Cattle Creek uh, Forest Protection Group who, and we uh, put forward a solution which was to map the old growth forest in Wild Cattle Creek. So um, we asked all the industry, uh, all the government agencies to take part in mapping, mapping old-growth forests because that was a, a requirement of the national forest policy that old-growth had to be mapped, identified and protected. And so we were offering to help. The, um, the Commonwealth Government had offered $5 million to the, to the uh, uh, New South Wales Government to help them map it, but they took, no way would they do it. But so this time uh, Megan Edwards did the assessment and by 1994... We had, or Megan uh, mostly, had mapped all the remnant patches of old growth forest in Wild Cattle Creek State Forest. And, um, uh, you know, we used the methodology developed in Victoria. It was a scientific methodology. It was applied rigorously. rigorously. We got an API, uh, aerial photographic interpretation expert, to map it. So it was a, it was a, a legitimate work, but because none of the other in interest groups would participate, including National Parks and Wildlife Service, they said they're still working out their methodology, and the methodology had already been developed. Um, but we had it mapped, and then they were going to log the best bit, uh, which was in at Downfall Creek in Wild Cattle Creek State Forest, this large patch of just magnificent old growth with these huge tallow woods and huge brush box. It was just a, a fantastic bit of forest right near Briggs Mill. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, people like Andrew Fraser said, oh, it's not old growth. There's no old growth in Wild Cattle Creek State Forest at all. Um, you know, our attempts to try to rectify it didn't work. So um, we had, a, had our blockade, blockade there and uh, starting on the 23rd of March. And uh, uh, on 24th of March, Forestry said, logging won't be halted. That's what they said. And then on the 31st of March... Their headlines were in the um, in the Coffs Harbour Advocate, logging on hold for frog survey. So we convinced, in the interim, we convinced the Park Service that their legal requirements to protect threatened species uh, uh, hadn't been met in this area because it's a really important uh, wildlife area as well, and they had, uh, had had stopped the logging. But, you know, nonetheless, once they did their frog survey, uh, they protected a little bit of, a little bit of the forest, we got a bit more protected, but not much, and uh, they resumed logging there in September 1994. And this was undoubtedly old-growth forest. We got an independent assessment done that said it was old-growth forest, but they kept on saying, no, 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 it's not. And, uh, and that, that was the, uh, uh, one of the major problems. So, uh, look, um, before I go on to the next issue, which is really the wood chipping and how that led into the Forest Must Survive 95 campaign, does anyone have anything to say about what happened in that intervening period? Here at the Northeast Forest okay, Alliance so, 30th well, anniversary. That was when I got involved. So uh, my first story quickly is a Mummel Gulf story. I wasn't at Mummel Gulf. I didn't really know anything about it. But I went to a fundraiser at the Elands Community Health Centre and I saw this um, really groovy-looking woman dancing who was Jane Watson, who's still here and we're still together, and that's very exciting. 
And then standing around the fire at the end of the night talking to a couple of people, Heather, who's also here, and Tab, who isn't, uh, said to Greg and I, we're saying, oh, this is a really lovely place, you know, it's just amazing. These forests are amazing. And they said, oh, you've got here at the beginning of the end, there's an environmental impact statement out and it basically says it can all be logged with no environmental impact. And if you care about the forests, you should write a submission. And um, and so anyway, we thought, oh, oh gosh, we better write a submission. And um, and that was 1992. <laughs> and here we are, we're still writing submissions. Anyway, um, so that 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 was my story of how Mummel Golf changed my life in a very indirect way. Uh, and part of the next thing that happened for me was that um, an area of old growth forest in the Wingham management area near where I live was um, scheduled to be logged. It had a, a it was called Compartment 22. So for those who don't know, a compartment is about 250 hectares. It's much bigger than the coops that they talk about down on the south. And uh, this was beautiful old growth forest at the head of the Boban Creek. It was home to 25 endangered species. I was taken out there uh, by Chris Sheed, who sends his apologies, he can't be here and um, shown trees that I didn't really, um, I didn't understand there were still trees like that. I grew up in Victoria and Melbourne and I hadn't seen forests like that and I couldn't believe they were still being cut down in uh, 1992. And um, and so I think it was 19, the beginning of 1993 when we, uh, Greg and I decided to um, move to Elands that we heard that uh, that area of forest was going to be logged. It was a piece of forest that was part of the Timber Industry Interim Protection Act. So the timber industry were getting that bit. And uh, the locals decided that we better do something. And uh, we were having a meeting in the cafe in the main street about what we were going to do and someone said, there's a log truck coming. So everyone grabbed their coffees and stood out in the middle of the road. <laughs> And um, that was the beginning of the latte blockade. And um, and so that was really interesting because I had never experienced a forest blockade or action before, didn't really know what it was all about. And um, so it was fascinating to watch how uh, forestry closed the forest. They, they basically felled trees across the road uh, about um, 100 square kilometres of forest was um, closed they set up a police camp, so it was no more Morning Ralph, Morning Sam, clock on, clock off. They established a camp in the middle of the forest area in a camping ground. They had a radio van, they had 24-hour, you know, they had cops on motorbikes, they had cops, anyway, they had everything. They had all the whiz-bangery that you can imagine. And the locals did a variety of actions. There was the uh, there was the belly dancing group that decided that they'd stop a truck. So they went out and did belly dancing on the road for a while. And, and with all of these things, you did the action and waited until the police came and then you went away. So, But because we live a good hour and a bit away from the police, it could be quite some time before that happened. So there was the meditation group that sat in front of the gate. <laughs> you know, there were There were all these different sort of activities that happened there was this mass community walk in and and um and in one of those occasions there was this guy who turned up 
it was a pretty shady character, if I say so. You know, he was sort of going, oh, I'm here, I'm here from NIFA to see whether we're going to turn this into a NIFA blockade. And we're going, well, you know, who's, who's this guy? And some of you will know immediately who I'm talking about. So, you know, it was John O. And uh, he, was, he was there to see whether or not we were worthy of this to be a NIFA blockade. And um, so we had a, an action day out in the forest and there was <laughs> and there were lots and lots of people and anyway yes that's right we passed and um and he said okay we'll 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 have an EFA blockade we'll you know we'll put out a red alert and we'll stay at you know come on this day and I said well shouldn't we call it a green alert because we're you know green and he said no you call it a red alert if you want someone to come and it's like oh okay and uh so we we put out a red alert and it was this sort of thing about is anything going to happen? Red alert. And then the day of the red alert, these vans just poured into the village. It was the most wonderful thing, you know, as the cavalry arrived. And all these people had come from across the region to help defend this piece of forest. And I can see up the back there Annie, you know, she was one of the people who came in that in that cavalcade. And uh, we had an old sawmill, which was like a community centre. We thought, well, this would be a good base camp. And we had everybody sort of lob in there and everyone said, yeah, well, this is great, but the forest is out there. So, you know, let's go. And so we went out and uh, it was the same process, I suppose, that people have talked about. It was the build lots and lots of structures and try and, you know, manage to outlast the cherry pickers and people locked on and tripods were removed. And I think there were about 90 arrests uh, in that process of trying to defend that patch of old growth forest. And one that I remember that was pretty funny was that I was sort of on a back road. I think Greg and I were there and we were, there were only about half a dozen of us, a couple of the Toonambar lads, and it was like, quick, quick, we've got to get a tripod up, we've got to get a tripod up, we've got to sort of hold this end of the road, and, you know, massive effort getting these very heavy bush poles up, get the tripod up, brilliant, you know, right, great, quick, someone get up the tripod, someone get up the tripod, they're coming. Somebody gets up, the Hamish gets up the tripod and uh, and the police sort of troopy comes along and stops and looks and stops and then drives right through the middle underneath because it was constructed the wrong way around. It was like, oh, duh. Um, anyway, so that was... <laughs> That was um, that was one of my stories from that time. Has anyone else got a story they want to quickly get up here? Because I have to keep talking while you come because we're on radio, so we've got to have stories. You're listening to Susie Russell from North East Forest Alliance 30th anniversary at Bungawalbin. And I've got a few from around 1992 was a very busy year for... Blockade. The Mummel Gulf blockade was quite incredible. It was different country. It was snow country. I think it was wombat country. Lots of grasses. The trees were more stunted and tortured looking. And we had this amazing teepee village set up around a lake. And somebody painted their teepee with beeswax and it caught on fire. And we had this incredible bathtub over that um, drop with a, a waterfall and you could have a hot bath in this freezing cold camp. And, yeah, that was quite different at Mummel. And then at uh, 
Killer Cranky. I became the NIFA area coordinator after going to Shailundi for the Bellingen region for a short period and I was on the freedom of information list to go out and forest scout. So I took my mate Trevor Pike with me and off we went up into the wilderness when we came across these two loggers Well, they were the contractors putting in the roads. They had no idea of the damage they were doing, cutting in roads on 45-degree slopes. And as Dylan said, the 88,000 tonnes of uh, debris went into Sunday and Scraggy Creeks, which are the headwaters of the uh, Bellingen River catchment. And uh, Megan... Edwards and I walked a fluvio geomorphologist all around those creeks and they were running deep, six foot deep in places. They were running red and all of these red, pink and orange stones were actually coming down the Bellingen River kilometres further down for years and every now and then after a flood you're still seeing these killer cranky rocks washing up on the beach at uh, Darkwood Thora River, uh, Bellingen River at Thora where where I live. And, of course, then after this, the forestry became licensed to kill and licensed to pollute. So we had a sticker campaign, like, going around for that as well. We had an action up in the Grafton uh, National Parks and Wildlife Office about that because they were the ones that um, issued those licences And then at Wild Cattle Creek, that was the first time where they actually brought in uh, police and they sort of gated it all up and said that it was a closed forest. So I was heavily involved in that. That's how I first got involved with um, NEFA, was trying to get people to come over and save these giant brush box trees, specifically these ones that were in log dump number five that you can still see on the old tram line up there. So being the coordinator, I wasn't allowed to be setting up a blockade. So I just got some of the other blockaders to set up Wild Cattle Creek Protection Group and dropped Phil off one night in the blockade and said, right, you're doing it. It got a bit hairy, so I led a posse through from Yamakuna up to film breaches because they were dropping all these giant brush box trees so big that you could stand inside them. They were hollow and they'd just been killed in drainage lines or first-order streams. And Dave Julian was there with me in that posse and he was shooting the breaches and the cops grabbed his camera and smashed it. And uh, we all got arrested and piled into the paddy wagon and we had the Save Wild Cattle Creek um, rainforest stickers and we plastered the inside of the van with the stickers and the cops left us in there with the exhaust fumes going so that we were getting, like, gassed on a hot spring day. It was actually, like, quite horrific. And I know Catherine's got a great story about... uh, Wild Cattle Creek if she can make it up here but I would just also like to mention a young man who's no longer with us he was uh, tragically killed um, in a freak wave accident in Queensland four years ago a young guy that you might remember his name was Alex and he 
climbed up the tripod at Wild Cattle Creek when Andrew Fraser was there inciting a riot and it got knocked over and Alex was hurt and he used to play the didge and he was probably about 14 at the time. I'd just like to mention him. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Kath. So um, while the next people are coming up to the... And we've got we've got another one here. Uh, Jeremy was the co-writer of this one. Uh, would you want to tell the story, Jeremy? Okay, this one comes from the nightcap action. Um, what happened was the um, the log trucks and the police had broken through our uh, um, skillfully constructed barricades, which um, consisted of a, a car chained to a grid. And they were uh, they were storming up the mountain, and uh, and I was sitting there uh, watching the kids just playing with their Tonka toys in the dirt as uh, as the trucks rolled on by, and I just sort of thought, wow, they're just like they're playing with Tonka toys, you know, like all these guys with their dozers and everything. They're just like the kids playing in the dirt with the Tonka toys. And I turned to my friend Mick Smith, who's name at the time was Frog and uh, I said man they, they're just the same as the kids playing with their Tonka toys and, and Mick just looked at me and he goes yeah and he, he went away and in about five minutes came back with his song it really literally took him five minutes to write this really enigmatic, you know, emblematic song about, uh, uh, about how people were just like they were playing with their Tonka toys. But big kids. Yeah, like they're big kids. And uh, the... the Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love that song. And after we actually won the... Um, um, won the Nightcap National Park, uh, I tacked on the last verse to it. So so we actually co-wrote this song and I've been uh, Facebooking with Mick just recently and, um, and he said that he would really appreciate being remembered for writing this song. So say, everyone say, G'day, Frog! G'day, Frog! Yeah, he's going to be doing the concert. There you go, mate. Oh. <laughs> You're going to sing too, aren't you? Uh, I'll, I'll sing it there, not for these people Tonka Toys. Tonka Toys. Yeah, All right, can, you can sing along too. Come on. Come on, Come on, mate. Come on, mate. Come on. Might best be described as the NIFA Ensemble coming up. Almost everyone involved, playing a part, occupying a mic. We want to cut, we want to kill, we want to bulldoze that bare hill. We don't care who pays the bill, goes a plane with a tonka toy. I'll cut the track, I'll lock the creek, I'll cut the trees where the sun's too sweet. We'll give the conservation as the Oh, 
Precious to plunder 